Welcome, everybody, to a wonderfully new episode. We're kind of reaching into the true crime, true crime genre again. Um, this is Ichabod's House. I'm Andy, and I'm here with my lovely sister, co-host, Jen. Say good morning, Good Jen. morning. And uh, we ha- just have this awesome episode. I'm super excited. It's about Belle Guinness. Guinness? Guinness. 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 Um, and uh, anyway, so we're going to get to that in just a minute. But first, we need to do Ichabod's Nose. What do you got for this week? I have Wormwood. It is on Netflix. It's about a man who was killed in the <laughs> 1950s. Was I wasn't sure. Go. No, he was a scientist. And apparently, they, uh, the government, CIA, experimented on him without his <gasps> knowledge or permission with LSD. Oh, and my he gosh. Ended up either falling, jumping, or being thrown from a hotel window. So it's a documentary kind of exploring that. I didn't watch a whole lot of TV this week because um, I started back to school this week. But I listened to a new podcast called Culpable about the serial killer Edward Wayne Edwards. Which right there, I mean, come on, with a name like that. His it. daughter was the one name. that turned him in. And so it's kind of emotional um, that way. But it's very, very interesting. So I've just started that. That sounds... <clears throat> Some, like something worth listening to. Yeah, right up our alley. Okay, so now Google and beyond. Last week we spoke about the Crusades and we could not remember how long or when they were. Mm-hmm. They were from 1095 to 1291. All right. Well, we have talked about demons, possession, banshees, fairies, the Falk monster, Momo, black eyed kids, spiritualism, the Jersey Devil. And others. Today, we're taking a break from our cryptid slash supernatural reporting. And like Andy said, we are going with some true crime. That is right. Today, we are talking about Belle Gunness, a murdering bitch of the highest order. And we are going to learn all about her today, thanks to our source, Hell's Princess. That's like a really cool biker bitch name. Hell's Princess. The mystery of Belle Gunness. Butcher of Men by Harold Schechter. Schechter? Schechter. Sorry, sure. Harold. <laughs> Harold, I want to apologize on behalf of my sister, Andy. <laughs> Who would have thought that my BA was in communication? So in 1881, Belle was 22 years old and living in her hometown of Selby, Norway. Her given name was Brynhild Paul's daughter, which means Brynhild Paul's daughter in Norwegian. <laughs> The name of the farm where her family lived and worked was added as a third name, which was at the time tradition. So her full name was Brynhild Paulstotter Storset. Her dad was employed as a stonemason, and the family was seriously poor. Young Brynhild grew up doing, doing chores around the farmstead. One of her biggest responsibilities as a young girl was collecting skirtvists. Sturkvitzt, which means spruce kindling. So just stuff that you just put in a fire. Yeah, she just had to collect sticks. Well, that that is, um, you know, just a really fancy name for that, I guess. So that's nice. Mm. She was remembered later by Pastor Hanstein of Selbu as someone who was good in, quote, religious knowledge and diligence. A neighbor reported that she was, quote, a diligent human being that in all things behaved well. She also liked to knit. So there you go. Yeah. 
just another another little facet to her. Yes. She was a multidimensional woman. I would like to know, see, I was confused. It's Are we going to find out? I'm jumping ahead. But are we going to find out why she went from Brynhild to Belle? You're just going to have to participate in the script, and all will be revealed, Andy. Oh, my gosh. I'm so, I'm so excited Patience. to find out what happens. Okay. Patience, my pet. But after all that shit with the murders went down, descriptions of Belle changed with the local paper reporting. Here, in Serbu, she is remembered by many as a very bad human being, capricious, and extremely malicious. She had unpretty habits, always in the mood for dirty tricks, talked little, and was a liar already as a child. As a grown-up, she was still little respected and was a scum of society. Oh. Well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. The author of our source describes her appearance in the one photo of her from her young adulthood. She was notably unlovely. <laughs> she was a notably unlovely young woman with a large head, small eyes, short nose, and a wide, fat-lipped mouth that, when set in a frown, bore resemblance to a frog's. A lovely lady, by all accounts, Brynhild traveled first to Toll, England, and then across the ocean to the U.S. aboard the filthy, stinky, crowded steamership of Tasso. Once on solid ground again, she made her way to Chicago to live with her sister, a woman named Olina, who was ten years older than young Brynhild. Settlers coming to the U.S. at that time were anxious to fit in, so ladies often altered their names from their cool Norwegian names to something bland and American. Olina had become Nellie, and young Brynhild became Bella, later shortened to Belle. So there you go, Andy. Now, Nellie had married John Larson and had settled in Chicago, and she invited Belle to live with them. So that's where Belle went. I just have to say on a side note, I really think that's sad when people from other countries do that. Mm-hmm. I feel it, I it's sad that they feel that they have to do that. Like the the place where I get my nails done, it's Vietnamese owned. And I don't know if this guy is the manager or owner or what, but he goes by Jason. Clearly not his given name. And I asked him, I said, well, what is your given name? And he said, Hui, which I thought was really cool. And he should just go by that. But I agree. Apparently. We are too snobby and don't like to take time to pronounce other countries' names, apparently. I know. Hopefully that'll change in time. I hope so. I really do. Because there's, you know, culturally, we need that melting pot. Mm -hmm. Okay. In 1880, three-fourths of Norwegian women became involved in domestic service. Laundresses, house cleaners, seamstresses, etc. But this wasn't something that particularly interested Belle. She wanted to be rich. And Chicago had plenty of department stores with all sorts of unattainable finery in their shop windows for her to observe. And I should clarify, this is Norwegian women who had emigrated to the United States, not all Norwegian women. Mm -hmm. But it was the ones in the United States who went into domestic service. Now, Belle grew up poor and hated that, but... She had also been in a similar financial situation to those her family associated with. They were poor. Their neighbors were poor. In Chicago, in America, wealth was visible and seemed attainable. Belle got a glimpse 
of what money could buy, and she wanted in. Who wouldn't, really? Her sister, Nellie, said this. Oh, I can't do a Norwegian accent. I can't Yump do it. Yemeni. Say yump and yemeni. My sister yump was insane. My sister was insane on the subject of money. She would do anything to get it. Now I'm going into a little, I don't know. It's a, it's a mishmash. She, <laughs> Just go with She the never girl. seemed to care for a man for his own self, only for the money or luxury he was able to give her. In fact, when Belle's first husband, Mads Sorensen, died under mysterious circumstances, BT dubs, Belle had this to say. Yeah, he provided me with a nice house. Oh, well, there you go. Belle married Mads in 1884, and you'll never guess what his job was. Night watchman at a department store. My guess is they met while she was trying to get locked inside one night trying on Mads. At any rate, despite her desire for money, Belle did seem to really love children. She was very kind to them, especially orphans or children who had been abandoned. This obsession with children actually led to a break with her sister, Nellie. Belle was very fond of Nellie's daughter, Olga, and at one point demanded Nellie hand the girl over for Belle to raise. Nellie understandably thought that that was ludicrous, and Belle said, fine, see you never in the year of our Lord, 1891, Belle and Mads lived near to the Olson family, who had a baby girl named Jenny. Sadly, when little Jenny was only eight months old, her mother died, and Belle and Mads took little Jenny in to live with them. In 1894, the couple bought a candy store, which burned to the ground less than a year later. Belle and Jenny were the only ones inside the store at the time, and when questioned by authorities as to how a fire started in a candy store, Belle said a kerosene lantern had exploded and the place just went up in flames. But here's the thing. No one found any broken glass in the rubble. Arson was suspected, but there was no concrete proof of anything, so the insurance company paid up. The couple eventually sold the store and moved to the suburbs where they purchased a three-story house and had four more children, Caroline, Myrtle, Axel, and Lucy. Young Caroline lived to five months, and little Axel lived to just three months. The family settled into life in the Chicago suburbs, with Mads working for the railroad, bringing in $12 per week, which in today's economy would be about $405, which was not nearly enough to give Belle everything she wanted. But then... On the evening of Friday, October 1st, 1897, a man named Angus Ralston paid a visit to the house. Mr. Ralston said he was agent and chief engineer for the Yukon Mining and Trading Company, which was, quote, a corporation of great financial resources that had been incorporated with a capital stock of $3.5 million, owned mines in New Mexico, and had great and extensive interests in Alaska and the Klondike regions, end quote. Mm-hmm. And that company was currently looking for miners willing to dig for gold in exchange for getting rich. Bell's tiny brain made a sound like this. Ka-ching! <laughs> and she encouraged Mads. Nay, forced? Or are we just going with encouraged? Okay, she encouraged Mads. 
to sign up for this amazing once-in-a-lifetime golden opportunity before he lost his one and only chance at ever getting rich. So Mads agreed to this in his contract. Go to Alaska in the employ of the company and prospect for gold. Locate same and do any other kind of work that the manager in charge of the expedition requires done for one year, beginning April 1st, 1898. In return, he'd get the same pay as all the other men in the camps, and he'd get one quarter interest in all mines located by him, as well as 2,800 shares of stock in the corporation. But wait, there was more! Since Mads was going to be gone at least a year, leaving Belle and the kids without a breadwinner, the corporation promised to pay her $35 a month while he was working for them, and give her that much credit in town as well, so she could get by without him. Well, that just sounds like a deal that you can't pass up, Jen. I know. Can't pass that up. Belle was all about it. And to be fair, so was Mads. The couple paid Mr. Ralston a bunch of money for the supplies and equipment Mads would need. $700, which is $20,000 in today's cash. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. To do this, they signed a promissory note for the amount and signed over their house as collateral. Hmm. Good decision. Hmm. Bad decision. Oh, Not Jesus. really sure. Mads prepared for the trip for the next several months. On April 1st, 1898, he let the company know he'd made all the arrangements and was ready to depart. But he heard nothing back. What? That's crazy. After two months of silence from the company, the couple realized they'd been duped. Oh my gosh. I was all in too. I was all in for them. Thankfully, they were able to file a lawsuit and did not lose their home. Yeah. Yeah. But Belle's first failure at getting rich quick left a bad taste in her mouth. And I'm just speculating here, but I'm guessing she probably decided to just get shit done herself from now on. If she was going to get cash, she'd just need to do it on her own. Keep all these men out of it. Well, for sure. I mean, good God. Don't send a man to do a woman's job. Interestingly, on April 10th, 1900, a fire caused by a, quote, defective heating apparatus broke out. Firefighters were able to get the fire put out and save the house, but the couple did end up losing a bunch of household items. Interestingly, interestingly, everything they lost was insured. But as interesting as this was, things were about to get even interestinger. Gosh, I can't wait. I know. Mads had this thing called a, quote, life insurance policy. This is where people get money when you die. His policy was going to expire on Monday, July 30th, 1900. He decided to go ahead and let that one expire and was said to have a new policy take place on the same day, Monday, July 30th, 1900. I can can just see it now what's going to happen. Oh, my God. So two policies overlapping on the same day. Yes. As luck or fate or perhaps sinister forces would have it, Mads died that very day. A young doctor, J.C. Miller, had once boarded with the couple, and that afternoon he was urgently called to their home. There he found Mads dead. He was fully clothed, lying on top of his blankets, and he just laid there completely dead not mostly dead completely not just mostly dead he was totally completely really most sincerely dead (laughs) the family physician 
Charles E. Jones. Is that the Snoopy animator? No, that's Charles Schultz. Oh, I thought it was Chuck Jones. Okay. Chuck Jones is uh, Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I knew that. Charles E. Jones was there to make sure Mads wasn't in need of his services. Both doctors asked Belle what happened to her husband. Yumping Yimini. He had a bad cold and fearful headache. So I gave him quinine and then I went to the kitchen to make dinner. When I came back to check on Mads, he was dead. Yeah. Well, the doctor sort of figured the druggist gave Mads morphine instead of quinine powder. And that's what killed him. At any rate, Mads was dead. And since both life insurance policies were still in effect on that day, wouldn't you know... Belle got to cash both of them in and ended up sitting on top of 5000 bucks, which is 150000 in today's money. Yes. Well, like most dead people, Mads needed to be buried. And since Belle was flush with all that new cash, it was no problem to get it done. Even though Belle hadn't talked with Nellie in quite some time, her sister still managed to make it to the funeral. Oh, for fuck's sake, could you stop with the goddamn sirens? Anyway... Even though Belle hadn't talked with Nellie in quite some time, her sister still managed to make it to the funeral, and Nellie wasn't all that thrilled with being there. She had this to say. Yeah, while I was there, a terrible feeling came over me. I felt just like something was going to happen. I grew dizzy and could not stand up. Well, poor Nellie. First of all, she lost her Norwegian accent and became Irish inexplicably. <laughs> but did she, though? Or is she just really bad acting? <laughs> I don't even think we could call that Irish. <laughs> That's an insult to Irish people. <laughs> so let's talk about Belle and the fires she's been caught in. One in the candy store and one in her house, both of which started mysteriously. And what about poor Mads? Was the druggist really to blame or is there foul play afoot? Weigh in, Andy. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I know her from a documentary. And all documentaries are true. So I'm going to say the druggist was not to blame. And the houses did not spontaneously combust. I, I'm in with that. I agree with you. I think Belle is, what do I want to say? Mastering her technique here, so to speak. She's practicing and she's going to advance to more success as far as killing she's on her but way to becoming maniacal i would say that's correct and we we kind of know that already because we're doing a whole podcast about it so mm, okay right the why the writing is kind of on the wall there all right so after mads died bell took her money and three kids and bought the farm literally okay so she has jenny and then two of the kids that survived that her and Mads had. Yeah. Okay. So that's the three kids. Okay. What, what, was there any question about the little Axel and Caroline deaths? Not at that time. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. So after Mads died, Bill took her money and three kids and bought the farm, literally. And not just any farm, a farm in Laporte, any Indiana with a very colorful history. The house on the 45-acre farm was known as Matty Altec's house in the late 1800s. The land had initially been purchased by John C. Walker, one of Laporte's founding fathers. Mr. Walker built the house on that land for his daughter, Harriet, and her husband, John Holcomb. Sadly, the community of Laporte 
hated the couple because they were Confederate sympathizers. Oh, assholes. As a result, the pair didn't fit in and left the area in 1864. The property was then purchased by B.R. Carr, whose son, G. Heil Carr, was the leader of a group of outlaws. Young Mr. Carr and his gang of hoodlums headed out west and held up a bank. Sadly, young Mr. Carr was killed by cops. Well, with his son dead, Mr. Carr sold the house and left, leaving nothing but debt in his wake. The house continued to change hands pretty much every couple of years or so. Various owners included a pair of brothers who died so suddenly in the house, the coroner was called in. Oh my goodness sakes. A farmer bought the house, lived in it for a time, and then hung himself in a second floor bedroom. Good night. Mm-hmm. I think this house is possessed. Could be. Finally, in 1892, it was sold to Matty Altick, the notorious madam. And under her ownership, the house became the classiest whorehouse in Indiana. Yeah. But old Maddie died suddenly. Some said it was heart failure. Some said it was suicide. And others said... It was murder. The house passed through a few more hands before finally landing in the fleshy bosom of Belle. And in November of 1901, she moved with her children to the farm. Now, gotta back up for a second, because when Belle and Mads were first married, they took in a boarder named Peter Gunnis. Peter was, quote, a fine-looking Viking of a man with clear blue eyes and a pointed yellow beard and mustache. They just described your husband. They did. I'm sorry. I'm having... I, I feel like I have a flock of eagles hairstyle this morning. Okay. F- flock of seagulls. <laughs> flock of seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that band was <laughs> the 80s. This flock of eagles is going to take some... Hmm. Peter was in Chicago in 1893 during the World's Fair. Oh, Just like with another person who came to Mm -hmm. fame in 1893, H.H. Holmes. Mm -hmm. And he rented a room from Mads and Bell for a time, working in the stockyards to earn his keep. In June of 1895, he married a lady named Jenny Sophia Simpson. I like how you spelled lady. Their first child, Swanhild, was born in 1897. Four years later, Jenny died giving birth to their second daughter. Aw. I know. Well, Belle went to Minnesota to visit a cousin shortly after Mads' death and heard tell of Peter's wife's untimely demise. And now here was this handsome Viking with two daughters and a dead wife. So what else was there to do but maybe drop in on Peter and say hello, maybe mention the 45-acre farm in Indiana and her need of a husband to work the land? It couldn't hurt, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it never hurts to ask. At the time, Peter, as we've mentioned, was good-looking, a strapping Viking, and quite a catch. Belle was also strapping and quite... No, <laughs> she was Belle. <laughs> she was a fat, heavy-featured woman with a big head covered with a mop of mud, mud-colored hair, small eyes, huge hands and arms, and a gross body supported by feet grotesquely small. That is a description yes. right there. Um, that is. That, that is makes you want to get busy. Yeah. Well, despite this, Peter Gunnell, Peter Gunnell, Gunnell, 
Despite this, Peter Ganell found himself very attracted to her. Or perhaps it was the enormous house and 45 acres of farmland. Who knows? What mysteries lurk in the hearts of men? Andy, what mysteries? Indeed. Maybe he was on some hallucinogenics. Maybe he just wanted a big fucking farm. No touchy. I'll work the farm, but let's not touch. Maybe that's what he said. Maybe. Naturally, they were married. And sadly, five days later, his baby daughter, the one his wife died bringing into the world, also passed away. So what to do with a dead baby? Well, ship it back to Chicago to be buried with Belle's other two dead infants. Easy peasy. So the couple settled in and all was wedded bliss until eight months later, when Belle's neighbors, the Nicholsons, were awakened late at night by a pounding at their door. Belle's daughter, Jenny, stood at the door with a stove poker in her hand. Mama wants you to come up. Papa's burned himself. Why did I go into a southern accent again? I always do that. Belle's daughter, Jenny, stood at the door with a stove poker in her hand. Mama wants you to come up. Papa's burned himself. Swan Nicholson and his son, Albert. Oh, Swan's a man? Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Swan Nicholson and his son, Albert, headed out to the Gunnis farm where they found Belle seated at the kitchen table, nearly inconsolable. Peter was in the living room, face down, actually on his nose with blood all over the floor. Young Albert Nicholson ran to town to fetch Dr. Bo Bowell, and the pair hitched up a wagon and hurried back to the Gunnel farmstead. Once there, Dr. Bowell net once there, Dr. Bowell net net net. <laughs> I keep saying net. It's not even spelled wrong, Andy. God damn it. Okay. Take 57. <laughs> Once there, Dr. Bowell knelt over the body to see about the about the burn young Jenny said had happened. Only he didn't see any burns. Also, it seemed as if Peter had been dead for quite a while. Rick Mortis had set in already, and it looked like he'd been hit in the back of the head with something heavy. And when the body was rolled over, it was obvious the nose was broken. Dr. Bowell, 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 Bowell. Bowell suspected Moida. The doctor, who was also the coroner, asked Belle what the hell had happened. Well, Belle explained that Peter had gone to the kitchen to fetch his shoes, which were warming next to the stove. When he bent over to pick them up, the meat grinder on the shelf above the stove fell onto his head. As it fell, it spilled a pan of hot brine on the back of his neck, causing a burn. Goodness sakes, that is a lot going on in just a moment. Peter reassured Belle he was just fine and everyone went to bed for the night. But Belle woke a few hours later and found him dead on the living room floor. Dr. Bowell thought he caught a whiff of BS, but he decided to keep his opinions to himself until after the autopsy. Young Albert Nicholson wasn't as inclined to keep his opinions to himself. On December 16th, Dr. Bowell and an associate, Dr. H. H. Martin, conducted an autopsy on Peter. No burn was noted on the back of his neck. His nose, however, had received severe blows. He also had a deep cut on his scalp, which extended through the first layer of skull. As they looked more deeply into the skull, they noticed a significant skull depression and fracture. 
In other words, his head was bashed in. I'm so glad you clarified that because I wondered what Mm -hmm. the hell that meant. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bowl just didn't feel this was death by accidental meat grinder fall and decided to get a grand jury together to start an inquest. I'm going to read that one more time because I had to. Two days later, on December 18, 1902, an inquest was held at the Gunnis Farm in the very room where Peter died and Bell was interrogated at length. Um, uh, tell us what happened the night Peter died. Well, I put the children to bed, and then I decided I'd go to the kitchen and stuff the sausages. Peter, God rest his soul, had butchered the pig earlier in the day. And uh, then what happened? When? After you and Peter stuffed the sausage. Peter didn't stoof the sausage. I stoofed the sausage. (sighs) After you stuffed the sausage, what happened next? Well, I washed the grinder and sat in the parlor. Peter was there and reading a newspaper, and we sat together and looked at the hanging sausage links. I liked the look of a good sausage. And then Peter said, Yeah, time for bed. And he picked up his pipe and went to the kitchen. He went to the kitchen? He always locked the door before he went oop to sleep, and I heard him make some little noise out there, and he always put his shoes on the back of the stove to warm, and I guess he must have been back to get a hold of a pair of shoes, and all at once I heard a terrible noise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what? I dropped my paper, and when I came out there, he was raising oop from the floor and putting his hands on his head. I had a big bowl with some brine on the back of the stove, and I was going to put some head cheese on. Damn it. I had a big bowl with some brine on the back of the stove, and I was going to put on some head cheese I had there. And the bowl was full and hot, and I thought I couldn't use it until tomorrow morning, and I thought I might as well leave it there until the morning. Where was that? On the stove or the shelf? Oh, on the back part of the stove. I had washed the meat grinder and wiped it off and put it on a shelf of the stove today. I generally put my iron things there to dry. Go on. Mama, he says, I burned me so terrible. I was so scared I didn't know what to do. All his clothes were wet. I said, you had better take your clothes off. He said, my head burns terribly. I heard taking soda and water was good to put on it so it would not get blistered. So I put that on. I bathed the towel in it and put it on his neck. Was all the brine spilled? Yes, I think the bowl was nearly empty. Was that brine boiling hot? Well, it had been boiling, but it had stewed for some time on the stove, so it wasn't so warm, but it was warm enough to burn. I rubbed him with some Vaseline and liniment. Did you see the wound on the back of his head? Yes. Was it bleeding? Not very much. The bleeding seemed to all be stopped. Continue, please. Well, we sat in the kitchen and I continued to rub him with liniment. He said he was afraid he was going to lose some of his hair on account of that burning and he was complaining terribly. And then? We returned to the parlor and sat there a couple of hours. By then he was beginning to get a little better and I said, 
don't you think you had better lay down? And he said, probably I will. And I said, you had better not go upstairs to bed, but lay down on the lounge, and I will fix that oop there, for it is warmer. And so the couple went to sleep for the night. Peter on the lounge in the living room, and Belle upstairs with the children. But Belle was not done with her story yet. All at once I heard him calling. He was over by the door and calling Mama as fast as he could and so that the children waked up and I was trying to think and said they should keep quiet and that I had to go to Papa and Papa was burned. I tried to put on my clothes because it was cold. I went down the steps and when I came down... He was walking around the room and saying, Oh, Mama, oh, Mama, my head. I don't know what is the matter with my head. I think we need to pause for just a moment and discuss <laughs> why is it that men and women call each other Mama and Papa or Mother and Dad? Remember Grandma and Grandpa Betty? Mother. He'd say, I can see when you're little when you or when you have little kids and you're saying, Go talk to Daddy or Hey, Daddy, get this for so-and-so. You know, I can see that. But when you've been empty nesters for a while, or when you're old, I don't know. The, I I just, I don't know why he's calling her mama. If I was hurt, I'd be hollering, Chris, come help me. You know? Right. I, it's very I weird to me. It is, I agree. Okay. All right. So, Belle asked him what was wrong, but Peter was having difficulty explaining it. He just kept saying his head hurt. Belle said she gave him a drink of water and was rubbing his head when Swan Nicholson and his son, Albert, arrived. Wait a minute. Belle, when they arrived, he was on the floor. Right. Exactly. Belle explained that she didn't look at his head. I could be such a good detective, Jen. <laughs> you, you could. Belle explained that she didn't look at his head initially because he wouldn't let her touch it. About how long do you think it was from the time that he was hurt out there before he died? Well, I guess it must have been after 11 o'clock he was hurt, and I didn't think he was gone until after you come here. You sat up with him two hours after he was hurt? Yes. Of course I wasn't upstairs long. I said good night and went upstairs and was there a short time when he called me. Did you say he was burned bad? He was red on the neck, and the skin was blistered by the ear here. How do you think he got that hurt on his head? Ugh, I don't know, doctor. I picked up the meat grinder from the floor, and I think that must have tumbled on him one way or to other. That's what I think, but I didn't see it. Did he say anything about it? He didn't say anything about the hurt on his head. When you found that cut, did you tell him his head was cut? I asked him where he had been with his head, because it was sore in the back, but he didn't tell me. She asked him where he'd been with his head? <laughs> Doesn't your head kind of right? go with wherever you are? <laughs> where have you been with this head of yours? God. <laughs> Bowl continued to question Belle about what happened in the kitchen with the brine and the meat grinder. But Belle said her husband never explained to her how the brine ended up spilling on his neck. And when asked how the hell he broke his nose, Belle just couldn't say. In fact, she said she didn't even notice the bloody and broken nose before she was told about it. At the conclusion of the inquest, Bowl asked Belle, You always lived happily together, you and him? As far as I know. 
All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it for today. We've been through a couple of fires with Belle and several deaths, infants and husbands. What do we think so far? I think Belle definitely murdered her children and Peter's child. Yes. And I think think she murdered Jenny's mom. Oh, do you? They don't. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Possibly if. Because she she was obsessed with children. Yeah, she was. She was obsessed with children. And I will say this too, Jenny, little Jenny's dad got remarried and went to court to try and get his daughter back, but he lost. The court ruled and let Belle keep that little girl. So. Wow. Not a good thing. Belle is a bad apple. And next week we'll get into a lot more of her shenanigans and the the question I want people to ponder is, how many clothing trunks do you think one woman can fit in her spare room? Answer. And let's keep in mind, in the 1800s, those rooms were really small. Rooms were not large unless you lived in a castle. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, next week we will continue with Belle and her legacy of terror at the Gunnis Farm. Uh, get in touch with one of us if you can. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or email us at jenandandy at ichabodshouse.com. Until next week, remember, Ichabod loves you. Carry a flashlight. And for fuck's sake, always bring extra pants.